So guys, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark for, for quite some time, and we will be going through the Gospel of Mark for quite some time. Uh, it's on the Tapestry Bibles that may be underneath your rear right now, um, on page 712. And then also it's on the piece of paper that probably definitely was on your rear earlier, uh, because I always forget to, to look when I sit down at least. And then it's going to appear behind me also, through the magic of electrons. Ooh. So I think it's it's seven twelve. Is that right? Is that the correct? Thank you. And I am in the Gospel of John, which does us no good whatsoever. <laughs> There's nothing good in the Gospel of John. That's a terrible gospel. It's sarcasm for those of you who don't understand sarcasm. I'll, I'll have a little, you know, I'll do this from now on when I'm being sarcastic. Okay, that's my sarcastic cue. So this is what the gospel according to Mark says. This is the word of the Lord. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. Ah. Uh, While he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up uh, on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He, just, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass, uh, pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gesenareth and anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And whoever... uh, Wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. Guys, there's some stories that that are are just told over and over and over again. Um, Most of you know I wasn't raised in church. uh, and, And there were things that those of you who were raised in church that you knew that I had no earthly idea about. I think I mentioned uh, last, not last week, because last week was the Super Bowl. I didn't mention anything other than, please, Patriots, lose. Please, Patriots, lose. And they did. Okay, maybe maybe I'm the only one happy about that. But yeah. Um, but I think I mentioned a few weeks ago about how one of the first Christian songs I heard was was Father Abraham. And I just thought this is... This is awful. Jesus is cool, but church stinks. Because if this is what people think is good music, then you are some messed up people. Um, And then I learned it was a kid song. It's a great kid song. But there were stories that I did know. I mean, if you asked me about the story of Noah, I knew enough about that. And I had heard that somewhere along the way, Jesus walked on water. I knew that much. So, you know, I hear this story and you get used to it. You get used to it. And I don't have anything new to bring you. But we're going to focus on one little part. This is one of the miracles that appears in all four Gospels. That's a big deal. Uh, because what it means is all four of the, the writers remember this one, one thing. 
Uh, the Gospels record different things because there are different people in it. That doesn't question the inspiration. It actually points to it. If you ever investigate a crime or deal with somebody who's a police officer, I was an insurance adjuster, and I had to investigate uh, accidents. And a surefire way of knowing that somebody was lying about it was if all the witnesses told the exact same story because it means that they talked about it and they've worked it out beforehand. Uh, these Gospels record different aspects of Jesus because they remembered different things. Different things stood out. But they all record that he, he walked on the, on the water. So I think this story is actually a story of two groups of people seeing Jesus. All right, you want to take a guess who the first group is? What? The boat people. I, I love that. You make it sound like they're a bunch of Cuban refugees just trying to escape Cuba. <laughs> they're either disciples or they're boat people. I like it. <laughs> Like the boat people, that's good. And and all right, since you're on fire here, okay, on fire. And what did the boat people see Jesus doing? Walking, walking on water. That's that's great. Now, see, here's the problem with walking on water. The modern, see, my Jesus in in Scripture is gritty. He's he's he sweats. He's covered in grime. His hair is not perfect. He is definitely not an Anglo at all. His nose is probably crooked or soon will be. Um, he's gritty. And my problem with most paintings and most pictures uh, that are done modern ones, Jesus is too perfect. And I know that sounds weird because I believe Jesus is perfect. But what we think of perfection and what God thinks of perfection, I think are quite often very different. The modern pictures, Jesus is just... You think he could dance? He was Jewish. You ever been to a Jewish wedding? You guys should join. That was the that's the best the sermon's going to get tonight. Okay. All you are like, well, we can't do. That. I mean, you could, the, how awesome would that have been if everybody was jumped up and we all grabbed Joe and we lift him up on the chair? I gave you another option there. Anyhow, this is the best photo I could find that I liked because, yeah, it's on the act. We get so used to Jesus being miraculous that we're, we're not really dumbfounded by the fact that he was miraculous. I want you to think for a second. If you saw somebody, you were out on Lake Michigan, not Lake Michigan, Lake Superior, there we go. And you were out on Lake Superior and um, you saw somebody walking in water. How are you going to respond? Why are you doing black power? Oh, you have a question? Okay. <laughs> power, what? Yeah. We make it as though, oh, it's just Jesus. He does that stuff. It would have freaked me out. Have you ever thought that you saw a ghost? When, think back when you were a teenager or kid, teenagers and kids. I, I, I hate to ruin all of the the scary moments you're going to go through in your life. But I'm convinced there are no, you know, there are no ghosts. But when I was a teenager, we had this thing called the witch's grave. The witch's grave, and this is not me talking about witchcraft in church, okay? The witch's grave was a, was a knot hole in a tree that somebody had taken a, a squirrel skull and put into it. 
And what you would do is you'd go out there in the middle of the night and, and, you know, the witch had been buried in the tree. And if you went out there and you touched the witch's skull, then you could make a wish and it would come true. It was a squirrel skull in a knot hole in a tree. And it would scare the bejuzies out of you because you'd be out there. Yes, sir. I, the only time I went, the farmer came out with his gun. <laughs> And Pete, I got to tell you, I was really scared there. Because <laughs> you know how it works. That, you know, we get like, ooh, it's a ghost. Ooh. I mean, one of my favorite scenes in, in, in uh, The Lion King is like, Mufasa. Ooh. <laughs> you know, it, it scares us. But have you ever really, really, really been scared? Adam introduced me to this thing on, on the internet. It's a fake ghost called Slender Man. And, and I was reading all this stuff. I'm going to scare the kids, and, and I'm so sorry. I'm actually not going to scare the kids, because this is fake. And, and I read about it, and I was scared. I'm a 44-year-old man, and, and man, not man, man. And I was scared. If I really saw somebody walking on the water, I'm not going to be like, oh, wow, that's Jesus walking on the water. Look at that. There he goes. I'm going to freak out. And the last thing I'm going to do is want that phantasm to get in the boat with me. Okay? I'm not going to be like, wow, that's awesome. I'm going to be scared. Now, we, we know from the story that, that Peter does something in the gospel according to Matthew. He shouts out to Jesus. And does anybody know what he shouts out? I hear whispers. Either that or I'm hearing voices right now and that scares me a little. Is it you? Yeah, and Pete said, prove it. And here's what I love. This is the way he proves it. He says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I want you to think about that for just a second. You're not really sure that this is Jesus. But if it is Jesus, you say, ask me to come out there on the water with you. Now, think about this reasoning again. That's the last thing I'm really going to do, except for this. All of Scripture is understood in context. What does context mean? Yeah, surrounding it. That that what happens before and what happens after, after affects how we understand Scripture. So we have this water walking that's going on. Does anybody remember what happened before that? He fed the people, he multiplied the, the food. Because you were saying multiplying, either you're having a math problem or you're about to say he multiplied the food, right? Okay, so he just fed five to 25,000 people off five loaves and two fish. That's a big deal. Jesus just did the impossible. He just did the impossible, and then he says, go get in a boat, and they get in the boat, and the next thing they see is Jesus walking across the water. And what happens afterwards is Jesus lands on the land and all the people recognize who he is and they bring their sick out and they beg just to touch the hem of his cloak. And what happens when they touch the hem of his cloak? They're healed. So before seeing Jesus walking on the water, Jesus does the impossible. And after seeing Jesus walking on the water, Jesus does the impossible. Now, when I was six years old, 
my dad took a bicycle built for two and he rigged it to be a bicycle built for four. I'm about to tell you a story about why you should not do that, okay? This is a good parenting rule. Because my dad's rigging of the bicycle was he, he had a seat for my mom. and Well, actually, a seat for my mom and a seat for him in the front. And then he took, you know those big metal baskets that you could get to put on the front of a bike that, you know, for carrying groceries? He's like, this will we'll, we'll put my youngest son in this. Awesome. And do you know what a book bar is on a bicycle? It, it's that little bar that's stuck on the back of 1950s books where you strap your books, 1950s books. 1950s bikes where you strap your books to that. And he thought, there's a book bar there. That's a great place to put my, my six-year-old son. It'll be awesome. And so my dad, you know, rigged this, this bicycle built for two to be a bicycle built for four. And then he did what you always do when you rig a bicycle to hold twice its capacity. He said, let's ride to a 7-Eleven and get an Icy, which I'm all for because I am a big fan of the Icy, okay? Slush puppies, nowhere near as good as an Icy. Slush puppies, good. Icy's better. And we got there and I got my Icy and I always got a Coca-Cola Icy at that point, okay? Cherry Icy's okay, but Coca-Cola Icy, oh, was so good. And... When I get happy, I, I tend to kick my legs out. And I kicked my leg into the back wheel and did not scream until it had jerked me off the bike and my heel had gone into the sprocket. Don't blame my dad. I did not scream. That's kind of stupid six-year-old point. Okay, kids, you should know this. If your parents are accidentally hurting you, you scream and they stop. It's the way it works. We don't always know. Uh, it cut my Achilles tendon halfway through. I had 30 stitches on on my heel as a six-year-old. Best moment, actually two two great moments, but my personal favorite moment, I don't remember. I lost so much blood, I passed out, and they were wheeling me into the emergency room, and I woke up for one brief second. You know how when you say something stupid, it almost always happens when everybody in the room suddenly silent? Busy, busy emergency room, sudden silence. I sit up and I look at my dad and I go, Daddy, I'm never going riding with you again when you've been drinking. <laughs> and my dad was like, every eye in the room just looked at him. You're scum. And he was like, I just wanted to tell everybody, it was an icy. <laughs> it was just an icy. Still to this day, I, I have this scar and I have ankle issues that happen. And my wife can spot me in a crowd because of the way I walk. You'll all notice this from now on, but I walk with a hop. I bounce. And, and you, you can ask me, I mean, she will look in a crowd and she'll just look for the head that goes. She knows me. If you think about it, you can make out your friends based on just certain behaviors. Because you know them. You know what to look for. Something you would never look for in anybody else, but you would just go, oh, that's Pam. You know it instantly. And Peter wants to know, is this Jesus? And I think his mindset is, if this is Jesus, he's going to ask me to do something impossible. And then he's going to give me the strength to do it. How did he recognize Jesus? Well, Jesus just fed 5,000 people. Jesus was just going to heal people. Jesus asked those who are following him to do the impossible. And then he gives them the power 
to do it. Now, those of you who are raised in church, you've heard all these sermons about now how Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he, he stayed walking on the water until he took his eyes off Jesus. We could talk about that all you want. But what amazes me is Peter goes, how do I know if it's really Jesus? Oh, he'll ask me to get out of the boat. So first group of people who, who recognize Jesus, who see Jesus, are those following him and the way they, they figure out, is this him or not? What does he ask me to do? Here's the next thing. Uh, we'll come back to that one, okay? Because that one loves me. Or not loves me. <laughs> as soon as they got out, the story goes to Jesus goes and lands. And as soon as he gets out, what happens? The people who were in need recognize Jesus. And they immediately think, he'll help me. He'll help this one that I love. I just got to get them there. Here's my problem with so much of what we deal with in, 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 in modern church language when it comes to pain is I think we treat it far too easy. Like, oh, this will just be taken care of. Just come to Jesus. Everything's fine. And it's all like this. Oh, I'm in Jesus's arms and, and there's clouds behind me now. And there's probably doves somewhere back there. But that's not the way it really works. Pain still happens. Pain still exists. But I really do believe Jesus heals. One of my personal heroes is a guy named Tony Campalo. Uh, he, he describes himself as a short, bald Italian guy who spits a lot. Uh, I, I describe him as genius. Uh, he is the Italian preacher at a black Baptist church. And, and those of you who have been accidentally sprayed by me once or twice, I am nothing compared to him, okay? I have, I have been in conferences with him where I promise you, those of you in the fourth row would not be safe. He just, it's like a sprinkler. But one of the things he does is that when he goes to a church, and he speaks at lots of different churches, uh, when he goes to a church, he tells them after the service, I'm just going to be down here and I'm going to pray for, pray for anybody who's sick. If, if you're hurting, if there's pain in your life, if you need Jesus to heal you, I'm going to be down here and I'm going to pray for you because I believe in a God who heals our pain. And he tells this story about this woman who, who came to him and said, Dr. Campalo, because he's a, a doctor of sociology. He, he's a, a former professor at a university called Eastern University. He said, Dr., or she said, Dr. Campalo, uh, my husband is dying of, of pancreatic cancer. Can you pray for him? To get better. Because he hates God right now. He despises God for what he's going through. Can you pray for him. That he would be healed. And Dr. Kampala said yeah I'll pray for him. I'll pray for him now. And I will pray for him every day. For the next two weeks. So he prayed for her. And she said thank you so much. And, and she left. And three days later. The woman called him back. Now, see, the way the church story is supposed to go is Dr. Campalo prays for him. and He's healed. Everything's great. And, you know, he's playing racquetball now because that's what everybody does. Guys, she called up to say, my husband died. Now, many of you have asked me to pray for you. And what I usually tell you is my dogs wake up at this time and I pray for people as I am walking my dogs around the block. And what I usually tell you is, uh, you know, I commit to you, I'll pray for you this number of days. And then I try to ask you about it afterwards. And if you came up to me like, Robert, would you pray for this? You know, 
Kaylee was just accepted to a school. And she's like, Robert, would you pray for this? And I prayed for it a week. And you came back and, and, and you said, hey, Robert, they sent me a letter. And they said that I was a complete imbecile to apply here. Thanks for your prayers. I'm going to feel pretty stupid. And Dr. Campalo was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry your husband uh, died. I really believe in a God who answers prayers. And I'm sorry that I, I just apparently didn't pray fervently enough. And her response was, oh, but he did heal him. Yes, my husband passed away. But in those three days, he finally became okay with God again. See, healing does not necessarily mean getting rid of the pain. It doesn't mean it's easy. But I really do believe Jesus heals. There were two groups of people there. There were those in the boat who called out, Is it you? If it's you, send me to do something incredible. And there were those on the land who were hurting. And when they saw Jesus, they said, we've got to get people there. And maybe this isn't your case, but in my life, sometimes I'm the people on the boat saying, Jesus, if it's you, send me to do something impossible. And sometimes I'm the people on the land saying, Jesus, I need you and I need you now. See, it's so easy for us to be like, oh, great people were the people in the boat. Yeah, look at Peter. He jumped out. But the other people trusted Jesus just as much because they ran to him. Do you recognize Jesus? Do I recognize Jesus? See, that, that verse of scripture that I, I bounced over is Philippians 4.13. And many of us who, who've been in church for a while, we've heard that verse over and over. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's usually done right you know, before you play some softball game that you're just not prepared for. Or some test that you're not prepared for or something else. But when you consider walking on water or running to him for healing. And then you go, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It becomes an entirely different thing. My family member who doesn't understand my faith at all. And I am so scared to talk to him or to talk to her. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The person who just betrayed me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The person who's in desperate need. And I just feel like I'm supposed to be a part of of helping them. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am hurting so much and I don't even know if I can trust Jesus for a second. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There are two groups of people who saw Jesus. One group was challenged to do the impossible. One group was challenged just to run to Him. What group are you in right now? What do you need to do right now? Do you need to get out of the boat? Do you need to just try and take one simple step towards him? I don't know where you are. (laughs) To be completely honest, a lot of times I don't know where I am. But I know he's faithful. 
Even sometimes when I don't believe it, I know he's faithful. So before I end, um, does anybody have anything that needs to be added? I feel like I've neglected this side. It's just I'm looking at more people over on this side. I don't know why they don't like you guys, but um, does anybody have anything that needs to be added? Okay, then I'm going to end with this. I think that, nope, wrong photo. I have more photos. This is a guy named Charles Spurgeon. He's known as the Prince of Preachers. If you were raised in a church that is from, from what would be known as the Reformed tradition, he was probably mentioned every other Sunday because he's like the hero of the Reformed tradition. He's a great guy. Uh, he was actually probably the pastor of the first mega church uh, in London. Not the first mega church in London, the first mega church just so happened to be in London. A brilliant, brilliant, brilliant preacher uh, and would go in with no notes. He would study all week and then would just preach these perfectly outlined sermons just off the top of my head. But it drove him crazy. So for about three months a year, he would be on an island that was basically an insanitarium. Uh, So that's why I don't do it. If you ever wondered, it's because I just would rather be with you all for the whole year. I could do it. It would just drive me nuts and I'd have to go to the Apostle Islands for three months a year. Doesn't sound that bad, actually. (laughs) Anyhow, he used to describe the gospel this way. He said his job was to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. You may have heard that before. Uh, there's a, a, a famous justice worker, uh, Frederick something, I can't remember his name, uh, who, who stole this line from, from uh, Spurgeon. But when he would get up into his pulpit, and he's got this massive pulpit. We should build me one like this, okay? Because like 15 feet high, and he would be preaching down at people. I'd feel really awesome, and we'd get a lot more hellfire and brimstone sermons if I had a pulpit like that. I'm just throwing that out, okay? Leadership team. Hey. It'd be awesome. Just, I wouldn't have to move it. Y'all would have to move it. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't even know who I'm talking to now, because there's no way that happened. But, He would say his job was to do this. Because see, as a follower of Christ, there are times where I'm incredibly comfortable. And I should be. Jesus is is this person who just takes us in his arms. But the problem is is that he doesn't want us just to remain comfortable. He wants us to be afflicted to go out and run run to those who are uncomfortable and and to, to relieve their affliction. Jesus has come to afflict the, the comfortable and to remove the affliction. Oh, my word, I just butchered it. To comfort the afflicted. If that's what Jesus did, that's what he wants us to do. And right now, if you go, I'm not the one on the land, I'm the one in the boat, then what he's probably wanting you to do is to do the impossible to bring comfort to those who are hurting. And the person who's hurting might be right beside you. And that doesn't mean you have all the answers. It means you say yes to him and he'll... Provide the comfort. We may never have the answers, but he'll provide the comfort. And if you're hurting, he wants to get rid of that affliction. Actually, that's not true. He might not get rid of the affliction. He wants to bring you comfort in the midst of it. So guys, wherever you are, ladies, wherever you are, you're in the boat or you're on land do you recognize Jesus
Because I think the appropriate answer is when we recognize him. To go to him. Be it walking across water. Or walking on land. Go to him. I hope this week you see him. I hope this week you see him in the faces of people around you. Both in the hurting and those who are having a great time. I hope you see him in the experiences you go through, both the wonderful and the terrible. I hope all of us recognize Jesus and we go to him. If you don't know him, I'd love to introduce you to him. I'll be in the back and I would love to pray with you. If you just need somebody to pray with you about something else, I'd love to pray with you. There'll be some other people back there. Uh, otherwise, let's, let's respond to him. Because when I recognize a friend, I like to go talk to him. When I recognize a friend, I wave at him. Uh, I've told you some stories about scaring friends that turned out not to be friends because I thought I recognized them. Uh, I think the appropriate response here is if we recognize Jesus, we respond. And one of the ways we do that is by singing. So pray with me, please, and then we'll respond. Jesus, help us to recognize you. Help us to recognize you as the one who calls us to do the impossible, but gives us the strength to do it. Help us to recognize you as the one who, who, who helps us to bear our pains and, and calms them down and mends our wounds. And then as we recognize you as the one who helps us to do the impossible and the one who helps to heal us, help us to recognize you enough to know that you want us to do the same for each other. That we could go out and be like you and do the impossible and heal the wounded. Jesus, I pray this in your name and I just ask that you help me to see you and that you help me to get out of the boat when I need to and to walk on the land when I need to. Amen. Guys, if you've seen Jesus, let's respond.